1: This podcast is brought to you by Sales Fuel Hire, a platform to help companies hire smarter and flag 13 toxic employee types. Measure job fit, sales tendencies, and motivators, decision-making abilities, and empathy levels, and make your next hire your best hire. Try it now on salesfuel.com/hire and use promo code Manage Smarter for $50 off your first purchase. Welcome to the Manage Smarter Podcast with hosts C. Lee Smith and Audrey Strong. We're glad you're here for discussions on new ways to manage smarter, hire, develop, and retain talent, improve results, and propel team performance to new heights. This is the Manage Smarter
0: Podcast. You think you know Gen Z or you have a partial understanding of Gen Z. Or you have no idea about Gen Z, right? You have no idea really what Gen (laughs) Z is all about. And boy, she's going to save us today. Welcome to Manage Smarter, everyone. I'm Audrey Strong. I'm the Vice President of Communications here at SalesFuel. And
2: I'm Celie Smith, the President and CEO of SalesFuel.
0: So Hannah Grady-Williams is here. She is the founder of Overture Consulting. Hi, Hannah. Thank you for coming.
3: Hey, Audrey, hi, Lee. You'll already sound like you're going to make every minute of this a blast, just fun. Oh, good.
2: Uh, That's what we're known for.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I love your bio. So let me uh, tell people a little bit about you. You say your story began in a blue pickup truck when your dad handed you, you were 12 at the time, the phone and asked you to close a deal on an investment property. Wow. That's very cool. Uh, unexpected introduction in the world of entrepreneurship. You found yourself thrust into a climate of innovation, challenge, and opportunity. You enrolled in college at 14 years of age and graduated with a degree in international business at 18. I feel like the dumbest person in the room right now. I
2: see, that's like um, a, a real life Doogie <laughs> Howser. There's a blast in the past. I love it. Reference.
0: And you're now 23. You are a Gen Zer and you're consulting businesses from startups to Fortune 500 companies. Amazing. You're on a mission to help leaders leverage Gen Z talent as a competitive advantage and build radical empathy in the workplace. So, what is the definition of radical empathy? Let's start there.
3: I love that question, Audrey. Um, this, this all ties back to my story and the reason I'm passionate about radical empathy. But really the way that I'm defining radical empathy is it's more of a, a movement and a community of people. Who want to come together to bridge all the gaps in the workplace that exist between generations, between ethnicities, between genders, between cultures. So I really see radical empathy for at least my definition and the community that follows this as being this group of people who are passionate about changing the future of work to build more understanding and bridges between people.
0: So how yeah, do you implement know. something like that? Yeah.
3: How do we, oh, how do I implement it? Oh gosh, it's literally just having conversations like this with people who are forward thinking okay. and whatever industry that they're in. Uh, my community of people, just the the wonderful leaders and students that I, I get to speak with all the time, are starting to build those bridges in their everyday work. Right? I mean, if you've got a student who follows this this mission and their purpose is radical empathy, and then you have a leader from Gen X or from the Boomer generation who says. I want to be a radical leader and I want to have radical empathy. Well, when the two of them meet and connect, it's like light bulbs go off. Just everyone is excited about asking questions and trying to listen to understand instead of listening to dominate. So that's really what, I, what I'm passionate about and what the community around me is passionate about too.
2: What is the difference between empathy and radical empathy?
3: Hmm. You know, I think they they're very similar, but the way I see radical empathy is just a way of changing the the wording or dynamic around taking an empathy approach first, always. So this idea that it doesn't matter, you know, what what age you are, you can bring something of value to the workplace and that you have a respect, inherent respect. If you're being radically empathic, it's not just stepping into someone else's shoes and seeing from their perspective. It's also respecting them for the experience that they've had and, and the life journey that they've already taken. And then for the other side, maybe you're a you know boomer, Gen X leader, or even a millennial. You're looking at these new up and coming leaders coming into the workplace who may be Super confused, you know, um, as Gen Zers first in the workplace and saying, I choose not only to be empathic toward the fact that you're young and confused, I also choose to respect you radically and actually ask for your opinions based on the bright eyes you bring to the workplace. So it's like, a, at least how I see it, it's a step beyond just empathy. It's not just stepping into someone's shoes. It's stepping into them, but then also saying, what can I learn from them based on where they've come from? Interesting. I love that question though. You know, I, it's, it's what you guys got me thinking about like what, what really makes that, Radical mm-hmm. empathy and the and the community so important.
2: Let me ask you one more. Uh, yeah. So, as a, as a Gen X leader, and of course, and of course, there's still some baby boomers out there where uh, they might see like your LinkedIn profile, and they'll see something like demanding radical empathy in the workplace and think, you know, I've been doing this for for a long time or whatever, and you're pretty new to the workforce or whatever. It's like, you know, who are you you guys to be demanding anything right now? it's like, the term demanding seems kind of threatening, you Mm -hmm. know? So it's like, how do you work around? Is there a reason for that word choice? And it's like, and, you know, how have you encountered people that might feel that way?
3: Absolutely. No, I'm so glad you brought this up, Lee, and this will will really go back. I know we haven't really even talked much about the story of really how I got into this. But to answer your question, um, when I approach radical empathy, I see this all the time. I mean, honestly, the point you just brought up, Lee, about what leaders are saying about, you know, who are you to demand something, who are you to take this approach that was the reason that i i actually began to see the differences between millennials and my generation of gen zers back in i guess this was 2017 when i first started really noticing the differences and one of the things that the millennial generation was really stereotyped as, as, as we all know, is being the whiners and complainers who expected to be vice president, you know, two weeks after they two, started. Two minutes after they started. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So they wanted to come in and, and demand title changes or six months of paternity leave right when they started. and. Of course, those stereotypes have existed for a reason. Most stereotypes do exist for a reason. Gen Z has approached the things that millennials brought to the workplace in a little bit different way. So we'll get into this a little bit more, I'm sure, in this conversation since we're already going deep. Um, But millennials and Gen Zers do see the world and work very differently. But the things that we're demanding, quote unquote, out of the workplace are more around human rights versus benefits. Mm. So if you think about the, some of the stereotypes that millennials brought, right, you've got this conversation around what we just said. Millennials want six months of paternity leave when, as soon as they start. You know, something that seems from many people's perspective to be completely unprofitable, not a smart decision as a business owner to do that sort of thing. Gen Z is demanding things that we expect to be human rights in the first place. So when I say demanding radical empathy, what I'm talking about and what this community is talking about is that when we look at the workplace, we see differences in generations, but we are also demanding respect from whatever perspective that person comes from. And I actually, I have my, my book that is um, public. It just came out. I'm very, very excited about it. But I talk about this concept throughout the book because, you know, as Leah, as you just shared, I'm facing the, this dynamic in the workplace of management where every leader who has paid their dues and been in the workplace for so long sees this new generation coming in and wonders, why, can, why do they think they can demand XYZ out of work when I've been here for 10, 20, 30, 40 years and had to work my way toward this? And in fact, I was speaking with one of my good friends recently. Her husband works in manufacturing. He's paid his dues. He's been at the same company for 45 years. And just a few weeks ago, they released a policy company-wide for unlimited vacation. And he comes, you know, raving mad home to his wife, who is my good friend. And he's just, he's just, you know, in fumes and just like, why do these millennials, you know, anyone at the company who starts working, why do they get unlimited time off? And I had to work for 40 years to get my five weeks. You know, that, that was the mentality he had. And his wife took a second. She's an HR and she's a very forward thinking leader. And she said, Hey, honey, take a second to breathe. and then." realize this policy applies to you too. It's not just them. Okay, so think about that for a second. Mm -hmm. Now you have, you've already spent 40 years, you understand the company. You understand exactly what it's going to take to get the tasks done that are assigned to you. You understand what leadership is looking for. You have an advantage because as soon as you finish your work, you can take off anytime you want. So now he's actually rearranged his whole schedule where he works basically three days a week and he comes home and takes the four days off because his tasks are done. Anyway, it's just an example to demonstrate mm-hmm. that, to go, to go back to this concept of um, benefits versus rights. When Gen Z approaches the the workplace um, and we approach this this term of demanding or term of well, what we're wanting out of it, a lot of it does surround the human right of equal respect, based on the different perspectives each person brings. So, when we say, you know, we demand radical empathy, why shouldn't we have empathy between generations, no matter the perspective?
2: What I like about this is that, and sales fuel, we all, we often say because we we do a lot of behavioral analysis. Both we start mm-hmm. with consumer behavior, but also in, in employee behavior. And and no matter what, we we find that it's always people. Things work best when it's people first, task second, processes third. And so that's what I like about this concept is that we're we're talking a lot about you know about the people and putting the people first as opposed to the job at hand or the process that we use for getting it done. So my hats off to you for that, Uh, Hannah. It's like one of the things I have noticed is that uh, Gen Xers and Gen Z seem to get along pretty well. I mean, I think we yes, kind of, it's, it's like, why is that? Or in, in, you know, in, in what ways is that true? And what ways might that not be true?
3: That I'm so glad you brought this up. Um, okay, so here, here's an interesting way to describe this. Gen X first and Gen Z do exhibit a lot of similarities. So let me take you back to my my story in the in the blue pickup truck when I was 12, because this will help really, I think, illustrate why this is the case. Um, my dad is very much Gen X. He is Gen X through and through. He was a, an entrepreneur from pretty much as early as I can remember. He actually started his martial arts company when I was a baby and quickly, after a couple of years, realized this is not sustainable. You know, I, he was a very decorated martial artist in fencing and oh, showed up wow. on karate. Fencing, yeah. Yeah. He, he loved it, it was his passion. And uh, so anyway, when when I was very little, he decided, you know, I'm going to go out and, and, and be an entrepreneur and start these dojos. Well, quickly, it, it became very unlucrative. <laughs> so he had two little girls at the time and he was, you know, my parents were struggling to put food on the table so he started reading and, and actually listening to cassette tapes, which I cannot think of. <laughs> you know, the, a time passed probably age six when I listened to cassette tapes. Uh, but basically, he started listening to real estate cassette tapes. And my dad's the kind of guy who he'll get one tape in out of a six or seven tape course, and he'll just go do it. You know, he won't even finish the course. He'll just go do what it says. I'm sure you can both relate. Totally <laughs> to, relate to that. <laughs> So, uh, so he realizes
2: like, oh, I need to listen to the rest of the tapes now
0: because
3: (laughs) (laughs) that's what happened. He, he went out and bought a duplex and then he was like, oh gosh, now I need to catch up on all the legal things I missed, you know, property management. (laughs) So what happened is he started this real estate business. It was really hard at first, but by the time I was 12, he, he did own a sizable little portfolio of, of homes. So he started taking me to work one day a week. And I'm the oldest of seven kids. So I had wow. kind of a yeah, kind of a, a large uh, burden to shoulder of being, you know, the example for them. So my parents wanted to get me into the world of business and entrepreneurship early, being the very Gen X minded parents they were. And also
2: firstborn too. It's like we have a oh tendency yes. for that. So yeah.
3: Sure. I'm the
0: baby. Boo hoo, you guys. You
3: get to do everything <laughs> first. You get the six, 15 speed bicycle first. Come on. We also get to be the guinea pigs on everything our parents <laughs> want to try.
2: That's right. Because it's like they didn't, they, they didn't go through a parenting course. So it's like, yeah, we, we, yeah, well, you, you know, guys broke them in. That's
3: fine. Yeah. <laughs> we, are you an oldest child too? Yes. Okay. Do you have yeah, siblings? Baby. Yes. <laughs> How many?
2: I have one who's 11 years younger than I am. He, he, he lives over in North Carolina as well.
3: Oh, that's awesome. Well, that's got to be an interesting dynamic when you're that far apart.
2: It, it is. It's like, and there's not a lot of connection there. I mean, the only connection that we really has, we had the same parents, but it's like, but, but really not the same parents because <laughs> they, they were much different. And I, there were many times like, really, I can't forget. Never let me get away with that.
3: Uh-huh. <laughs> yep. No, I, I get that. I look now at my younger siblings who The youngest girl is six. So so there's seven of us and only one boy, and he is right smack in the middle. So all of the other girls, you know, the youngest girl is six. And I look at my parents' parenting style and I'm just thinking, you were just so much more lax with them. You know, it's the, the typical thing that happens with parents. It definitely happened in my family. Oh my uh, so, but when I was 12, you know, my parents are, are gung ho about, you know, we don't want our kids to go the traditional path and we, maybe they'll do different things for college or maybe they won't go to college at all. So when I was 12 and I started going to work with my dad, there was this distinct one moment that I remember I'm sitting in the back of my dad's blue pickup truck and we're bouncing down the highway and I'm trying to get my homework done. I'm, you know, trying to be my, my studious self and we're going down the highway, collecting tenant rents, you know, door to door. Cause that was what you did back then. Mm-hmm. And he randomly out of the blue, I wasn't expecting it, hands me his cell phone. And he says, Hey, Hannah, uh, this phone's ringing. There's a guy at the end of the line who wants to sell his house and you're going to close the deal and i just remember being freaked out of my mind i would be too yeah <laughs> i mean i mean if you're 12 years old much less you know have an experience in sales having any type of call like that out of the blue is just you know your parents hand you the call it's the, it's the one business development opportunity you might get that week and then trusts you with that conversation mm-hmm. so I trusted him. So I I took the phone and I stumbled through this call and, you know, I'm looking at him like, what am I, am I saying the right thing? (laughs) You know, what, what am I, what am I supposed to do? And sure enough, after that call with his help, we had the property under contract a couple days later, and then we closed on it. And my parents still own that duplex. So I have the ability to look back and see, you know, this was the start of where I began with that Gen X parenting style and the inspiration. And then here's how far I've come. So to answer your question, Lee, my parents while they may have been a little bit more uh, forceful or a little bit, you know, put me in situations that many parents don't, this is a trend that you'll see all across social media. And if you talk with other Gen X parents, as I'm sure you all do, there's just a different feel and parenting style of the way that Gen Zers were raised based on Gen X. So, We do have a lot of similarities to Gen X because of the way we were raised. And as much as we try, you know, all the young people say, I don't want to be my parents and I I want to escape from it, the the principles and the values and the tendencies that our parents imparted to us naturally are very similar uh, between the two generations as a result. So, for example, boomers raised millennials to be very group and team oriented. So when the boomer generation was at work, there was a a large focus on team success and the drivers of company success as a team. And then Gen X walked into the workplace and they said, "Mm, wait a minute, we're doing certain things inefficiently. Let Let me just take this project and I'll just do it on my own and I'll bring you the results back. That same dynamic is happening between millennials and Gen Z because Gen Zers are very, Individualistic versus millennials were very group oriented,
2: and it's Gen Xers is because at ten years old it's like we let, we were at the house by ourselves after we got home from school because both the parents were at work, and so we did things by ourselves and felt very comfortable with it, and quite frankly, you know, enjoyed it. So we carry that through through all of our, our work career. So that that's why we we're, we're, we teach the Gen Zs to do the same thing.
3: Have you all taught your children, you know, similar similar traits of fight for yourself and you know, oh, yeah. think critically.
2: Oh, absolutely. All of that. All of that. I mean, and Audrey will tell you, tell you, it's, like, it's also how I mentor here as well. So mm-hmm. uh, yeah,
0: we've got a few minutes left. So can you name, just tick off maybe three other qualities of Gen Z's in the workplace that managers need to be mindful of? Um, uh, and then we want to promote your book and your business. Yes,
3: absolutely. So, and these are things I, I really flesh out in the book. I actually. Audrey, um, in the, the way I wrote this book, A Leader's Guide to Unlocking Gen Z is very digestible for anybody who reads it. So th- when we talk about you know these differences between Gen Z and millennials, I actually break them down in the book and then I put action steps at the end of every chapter oh, with charts and graphs. That way you can take a difference between a generation and break it down and actually write out a plan to, you know, move the needle in that area of how you manage or how your business operates. Um, so one thing that one other difference to talk mm-hmm. about between Gen Z and millennials is that what, what was the stereotype for millennials about job hopping, right? Like we mm-hmm. all know that millennials have held between seven to 10 jobs by the time they were 30, right? It was very, they were looking for their bliss, looking for job hopping, opportunities. They're always looking for something that makes them happy. Gen Z is actually statistically showing that we are not going to follow that trend, which is kind of exciting. If you're a manager and you're expecting Gen Zers to leave, you need to change your management style. So here's the data on Gen Z. 61% of Gen Z is saying that we would like or actually prefer to stay at a company for seven to 10 years If the culture and the people align with our beliefs and our values and we enjoy working there. This is a huge shift. So when you're managing, something really important to know is don't just assume that your Gen Zer wants to leave. If you put a huge amount of work into building a culture and a team where that Gen Zer feels valued and respected, and you have we you know your regular meetups with them where you talk about their dreams, their aspirations, if you can help connect the dots for them of, Here's your career value or your vision as a Zer. Let me let me help you unpack what that journey could look like within our company. Then you're going to, you're going to have a loyal workforce. You're going to have a Gen Zer who wants to be with you if you handle it correctly. At least that's what the data is saying so far. We'll have yet to see, you know, what happens as more Gen Zers come into the workplace. But if I were a manager right now managing a team of Gen Zers, I would be putting incredible focus on high-touch, personalized interactions and understanding where that Gen Zer wants to go. And then helping them develop their own roadmap for how to get there within the company they're currently working at because that's where they want to be. And we could go a whole, we could have a whole conversation about why that is. Um, but just for now, know that as a manager a great and you can tip. read more yeah. in the book about yeah.
0: it. Yeah. And What's the other name thing of the is, book?
3: It's called A Leader's Guide to Unlocking Gen Z. Okay. Very yeah, good.
2: And the other thing I always caution people is like, you know, when we're talking about any large groups of people, it's like, is to be careful not to stereotype them all because they are still individuals. We still have to get to know them as individuals and treat yes. them as such, but- when you're when you're thinking in broader terms like that it's important to, that you don't think of Gen Zers as just the, the new version of millennials you exactly
3: know, well and Lee you bring up a fantastic point there and I know we're getting to the end of time but if if you have a, a whole generation, That has grown up with very personalized, customized ways of shopping and interacting with friends, etc. The only thing you can expect is when you are managing them, you have to be personalized and understand their perspective and their individual, again, to your point, not their generational stereotype, but their individual needs, aspirations, etc. And that's how you retain them.
0: It's hannahgwilliams.com for Hannah Grady-Williams. This has been such a pleasure. And uh, if you want to hire um, to do a consult and help you out, the company name is Overture. Hannah, thanks so much.
3: Thank you, Audrey.
1: That was terrific. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and recommend on iTunes, Overcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also get more great information at salesfuel.com.